We're in our series, As You Go, and we are making our way through the book of Matthew. Uh, I hope you brought your uh, Matthew uh, copy today. I hope you'll take some notes and maybe jot down some ideas or lessons to take with you this week. If you do not have a copy, there were some this morning, I know, on the tables uh, in the front foyer as well as the tables in the back foyer. Please go by and grab one. If you don't, see one of our, if they're not there, see one of our staff members and uh, we'll get one out of the office. But we are uh, hopeful that you are working your way through Matthew's gospel and learning. Now, one of the things we've been doing each week is we've been doing a little pop quiz because I'm challenging you, learn the story of Jesus. Use Matthew as your guide to learn what happened in Jesus' life so that when someone says to you, where's the Sermon on the Mount? You can say, well, it's Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. Or where do you find the story of of John the Baptist baptizing Jesus? Well, that's found over in Matthew chapter 3. So let's see how you're doing. Now, let me just warn you, it's getting harder, okay? We're up now to seven chapters. So you got a one in seven chance, which, by the way, is a lot better than those of us who did bracketology this year, right? I mean, boy, you want to talk about a year of upsets. Uh, if, you, if you picked a number one seed, you were in trouble, that's for sure. And so hopefully you'll pick a little bit better today as we look at these questions. Let's begin. Question number one. In which chapter does Jesus say you cannot serve two masters? You cannot serve both God and money. Where does Jesus say that? And the answer, of course, is the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 6, verse 24 in, in, in uh, particular. All right. Question number two. In which chapter do you find Jesus calling Peter, Andrew, James, and John to be fisher of men? And the answer, got it in your head? Chapter 4. All right. How are we doing so far? We got any perfect scores yet? Oh, come on. Blake, are you the only one? Surely, no. Okay. Oh, you got the printout. Okay. Yeah, all right, that does help. All right, question number three. In which chapter do you find the golden rule, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you? And Blake, the printout says? Oh, you didn't look. You did? And the answer? Chapter seven, yes. Uh, This is the ending of the Sermon on the Mount in many ways. You've got the invitation that follows. Uh, Question number four, in which chapter do you find John the Baptist stating that the one coming after him would baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire? I gave you a hint on that one a while ago as to which chapter John the Baptist was baptizing Jesus in, which is chapter three. And then the last one, uh, going back to last week, in which chapter does the wise man build his house upon the rock? If you remember last week's lesson, chapter seven. All right, Blake, did you get all of them? All of them. Okay, fantastic. Wow. Okay. Uh, One of the things I love about Matthew's gospel is that Matthew oftentimes will set you up for what's coming. He does that at the end of chapter 4 as he gives us a summary statement about Jesus. Notice the words that he uses here. And he went throughout all Galilee teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every disease and every affliction from among the people. 
And, and what you have here is a preview of what Matthew's fixing to write about. Matthew's going to begin by addressing what Jesus taught. And you see that in the Sermon on the Mount. The next three chapters actually addresses that. His teaching and proclaiming is found in the Sermon on the Mount, at least part of it. He's going to talk some more in some of the other chapters, of course, as we come up. And then notice the next thing, in healing every disease from among the people. And that's what's fascinating, is that after dealing with, here's what Jesus taught, let's look at some of the examples of his miracles. And so in Matthew chapters 8 and 9, you have a series of miracles, one right after the other. Boom, 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 boom. Each one teaching a different lesson, getting across a different point. And so you begin with the teaching of Jesus, and then you move to the miracles of Jesus. And so we, we go to chapter 8 today, and, and we, I want to begin by simply asking this question. Why did Jesus, of all things, perform miracles? And if you just kind of survey the Gospels, you'll find that there are a handful of reasons for Jesus doing miracles. Number one, for identification through divine power. In other words, one of the things that miracles do is give us an insight into who this man is. For instance, Nicodemus will come to Jesus in John 3, and he'll say to, to Jesus, we know you're a man who's come from God. We know that. Because no one could do the signs you're doing if God wasn't with him. In other words, an average person cannot do this. We're going to see another example of that in uh, Matthew chapter 8. Secondly, and this is a huge one to me, to fulfill Old Testament prophecies. Uh, you go over to Isaiah 35. Isaiah has more prophecies about Jesus than any other book of the Old Testament. But Isaiah 35, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped, then the lame man will leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. You get all of these predictions of what's going to happen in the age of the Messiah. And Jesus comes along and, of course, fulfills those. Number three, we're going to get an insight into Jesus' heart, his compassion. One of the stories you find over in Luke's gospel is Jesus coming to a little village called Nain, a little bitty small community. And as he's coming into the little village, uh, a funeral is coming out, funeral procession. And it's a young man, and he's the only son of his mother who, who is a widow. He's the only child. And, and here's a woman who is absolutely distraught. Kind of reminds me of some of the people in Mississippi who lost everything. You know, who have lived in this house, on this property all their lives, and then they wake up and it's all gone. Where do you even begin? For this woman, everything was gone. Her husband was gone. Her only source of income in the future was gone. You know, she only had the Lord. And the Lord had compassion on her. And, of course, went over, raised her, from the, her son from the dead, and, and, and gave him back to his mother. You have this incredible compassion that we see Jesus having here. And then number four is to teach lessons. This is especially true in John's gospel. John will take miracle stories and turn them into parables. John chapter 9 is an example. They're at a pool there in Jerusalem. There's a man who's there. He's, he's been born blind. And, and the disciples asked Jesus, who sinned, his parents or him, that he was born blind? And Jesus said, neither. In fact, the reason he was born blind was that the works of God might be displayed in him. The last 
a few words of this particular text. So miracles sometimes teach lessons. And then the fifth reason is that they inspire and create faith in those of us who read about them. John, at the end of his gospel, of where he lists seven major signs, he'll talk about the fact that Jesus performed so many other signs. But notice what he says. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that believing you may have life in his name. And so miracles do a lot as you work through the text. And you're going to see that here in in Matthew chapter 8 this morning. Now, there's a whole bunch of them, and I'm going to move quickly through them. But each one of them is trying to make a point. If we're just willing to look at don't look at the miracle and go, wow, what a cool miracle. What is he trying to teach us through that miracle? That's the question we need to ask. Begins with verses 1 and 2 of chapter 8. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. I love comparing the miracle stories uh, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. I always ask the question, why does each gospel writer begin with the story he begins with? And this is the first of the miracles. Now, Jesus is performing miracles way back in chapter 4, but we're not told what they are. Here's the first example. And the question you have to ask is this. Why did the Holy Spirit inspire Matthew to pick a story about a leper? You turn over to Mark's gospel and the first miracle is casting out of a demon. You turn over to Luke, different story. Why? Why of all things does Matthew pick this one? And to answer that question, you've got to ask, who is Matthew writing to? Who's his audience? And his audience are Jewish Christians. Okay? Jewish Christians. I mean, when you read Matthew, it's very obvious he's speaking to Christians who have grown up Jewish, who have chosen to follow Jesus... And now he's writing to them with a message that they're going to struggle with. You see, we read the Great Commission, and the Great Commission doesn't affect us. As you go, teach all nations. Okay, what's the big deal about that? If you're Jewish, being asked to teach all nations means teaching people like you and me, Gentiles. And here are Jews, who, many of whom have never even been in a Gentile's house. And you want us to teach these folks? Yes. And so to illustrate it, the first miracle is a miracle of Jesus healing someone who was absolutely as unclean as you could get in that day. Leprosy was a horrifying disease. Y'all, I've had a sinus infection for a week. You would have thought June thought I had leprosy. Walking around with Lysol. You know, putting me in the back of the house. I, I said, baby, it's a sign. It's not COVID. I don't care. You stay back there. By the way, y'all, I'm, I'm joking. She, she took care of me. She is my nurse. Let me just tell you, she did take care of me. But I have been sick on occasions where she did do that. I mean, she is one like, uh-uh, I'm not catching that, you know. Well, leprosy was one of those you didn't want to catch. Lepers had to walk around. They had to, by the way, they couldn't stay at home anymore. They had to go out away from the city. They had to live in leper communities, colonies. They had to wear masks on their face. Boy, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? 
And why, why do you think God would say you've got to wear a mask on your face? Well, you don't want other people catching what you got. I mean, you had to cry out, unclean, unclean. You had to keep yourself unkempt. I mean, you, you, you couldn't comb your hair. You had to look like something was wrong with you because there was. And this man comes to Jesus and simply says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And what we read next doesn't phase us. We read it and go, okay, Jesus did that. You've you got to put yourself in a first century Jewish position. What Jesus did next was absolutely horrifying. Look at what he did. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. You didn't touch someone with leprosy. You didn't do that, period. Because the moment you did, you became unclean. Not the case with Jesus. The moment he touched the leper, the leper became clean. Reversed the whole world order. And you see Jesus immediately cleansing him. I I love a scene in in a video series that came out several years ago on Matthew's Gospel called the Matthew Video. And it's a scene of where Jesus heals this guy. And when the guy looks and sees that he's clean, he just grabs Jesus and begins to hug him. And Jesus is laughing and he's laughing. And the apostles are just absolutely horrified. What just happened in front of us? And so the first miracle becomes this miracle that says, you know what? God's people have got to be willing to go into and touch the unclean parts of the world. Now, we don't have leper colonies, and at least I don't know of any in the United States. Maybe there are some in in parts of, of our country I'm not aware of. But we do have, you know, places in our hospitals where it's like, no, you can't go back there. That's an infectious disease area, and we don't, you know, you go back there, you've got to cover up in what looks like hazmat suits, you know. We've all experienced that. We've all gone to the hospital and put on the mask and put on the outer gear, you know, and all of that. Why? Because, you know, we live in a world that's sometimes unclean. And yet God, through Jesus, is saying, I want my people to be willing to go into that world. Now, it may be very different from sickness. It may be social. It may be it's time for us to go across the tracks. A lot of us were raised understanding that terminology, you know. And, of course, some of us were raised living on the other side of the tracks. And so are we willing to go where part of our society looks and says, you know what, this part is not the part I want to associate with. That's what God's calling us to. Let me just focus just for a moment in the healing area in particular. I can't tell you how much I appreciate those who who serve in helping those of us who are sick. Thursday morning I got up and I called my primary care doctor who happens to be an elder in the church, Blake's good friends with him. And I said, I'm sick. He said, come see me. And I went down and he came in and, you know, talked to me more about church than anything else. But then said, I'm going to give you a shot, give you some antibiotics, try to get you feeling better. I appreciate those who serve that way. Because if you serve in the medical industry in any way, you are continuing the ministry of Jesus Christ, whether you mean to or not. I mean, when I think about those who care for the most elderly among us, both my mom and dad ended up in nursing homes because of different reasons. My dad developed early stages Alzheimer's when he was 63 years old. 
for the next seven years, we watched my dad disappear and eventually having to be taken care of in a nursing home. And I learned to love and appreciate people who work in nursing homes because they continue the healing ministry of Jesus Christ. When I think of our own medical equipment ministry and the care that we offer to people, whether it's wheelchairs or, you know, crutches or whatever it may be, and I, and I realize that here are people who are at their wits' ends wondering where in the world can I go just to get some help for my loved one. And all at once someone says, how about this church in Hendersonville? They can help you out and it won't cost you a dime. I appreciate those who work in that area. Can I just ask you, if, if you work in the medical industry in any form whatsoever, would you raise your hands? I want you to look at all the people in here. Y'all, let's say thank you to these folks. Thank you. While some of us work to try and heal the soul, others of you work to try to heal the body, and both were ministries of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you. A second man comes to Jesus. Next miracle story. And this time it's a very unusual individual. Again, if we don't read carefully, we don't see it. Notice the text. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came. That word centurion tells you who it is. It's not a Jew. Centurion were military individuals. These are people over 100 soldiers. These are usually either uh, serving under Herod Antipas or under the Roman government. And so here comes this centurion, and he comes to Jesus. Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. If you've not watched The Chosen, Stan will tell you, boy, they, they play off this one beautifully. Absolutely presents it in a fantastic way. But the centurion comes to Jesus, and Jesus says to a Gentile, notice again, Jewish gospel, focus on the unclean, focus on the Gentiles. I'll come and heal him. But then look at the centurion. He says, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. Now, what in the world is going on here? What's going on is this centurion had seen Jesus. He had watched him perform miracles. We don't know which miracles, but there in Capernaum, he had watched Jesus perform a miracle. And the centurion is now faced with a decision. Is this guy legit? Does he represent God? Or is he a fake? Which one is he? And with his servant back at home, who he cares for deeply, very, very sick, he decides to put his trust and the only hope that he had at that moment, and that was Jesus of Nazareth. And so when Jesus says, I'll go heal him, he says, no, I'm not worthy for you to come under my house. Jews did not go in Gentiles' houses. That just was unheard of. And so he says, you just say the word. Because if you have the authority, I believe that you have, all you have to do is say the word, and it'll happen, and sure enough, it did. And Jesus responded, he said, let me tell you something. Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. He's complimenting a Gentile. You got to see that in this Jewish gospel because it stands out and a lot of times we miss that. And of course they go home and the guy was immediately healed. 
And it leads us to the second question we've got to ask ourselves. Everyone who encounters the miracles of Jesus have to make a decision as to whether he is the Lord or a glorified liar. C.S. Lewis said this years ago. I mean, as he was looking at Scripture, he says, here's all of these claims made about Jesus, and you can't be neutral about them. Either Jesus is who he claims to be, he is Lord of everything, or he's the greatest liar who's ever lived. Because if these stories are not true, we're living a lie right now assembling in this building. And so we have to make a decision. Is he Lord or is he a liar? And then we come to Matthew chapter 8, just a very brief little description. First of all, Jesus healing Peter's mother-in-law. I mean, he goes to Peter's house, his mother-in-law's sick, we know he's married, Peter is. Because of that, he touches her, she gets up, and she begins to serve them. And then that night, the house just gets overwhelmed. I mean, the doors are stopped up, there are people probably trying to get in the windows. Everyone's trying to get to Jesus, and Jesus is touching them, he's casting out spirits. And of course, he ends, notice Matthew's words, verse 17. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. One of the reasons a while ago we gave for him doing miracles. And the lesson we draw from this is very simple. Perhaps the greatest proof of Jesus' divinity is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies. There have been times in my life when I've had to ask a very simple question. Do I believe this book? Do I believe the Bible is the Word of God? And I don't want to simply say yes because my mom and dad did. Or my grandparents did. Or my teachers did. Or the preachers said we should believe it. What has convinced me more than anything else in all the years of studying the Bible is the incredible complexity of the, of the books that we find in that book we call the Bible. Stan is working on his Ph.D. right now, and he'll tell you. You start diving into that text, and Stan, it just keeps going down, don't it? I mean, you start, you start studying, you start reading, and you're like, what in the world? I mean, just the sheer amazing wonders of this book we call the Bible. And what amazes me is all of those passages scattered throughout the Old Testament, going all the way back to the book of Genesis, going through the Psalms, going into the prophets like Isaiah, and then to see those texts woven into the very fabric of the New Testament, written sometimes as much as a thousand years later, and you go, you mean to tell me that was written by mere human beings? It's not possible. It's not possible. And so whenever I look at these prophecies and I see them being fulfilled in the life of Jesus, in the life of the early Christians, I can't help but just in amazement say, God, you are truly incredible. Thank you. And it's one of those proofs that just says to me, the Bible is the Word of God. Our next miracle in, in Matthew uh, 8 is, is a just a very short miracle. I've already mentioned Stan a couple of times, but Stan, when I came to this miracle, I thought of you, and I thought, here we go. And so I'm going to quote you on this one. 
This, by the way, is a picture I took about six years ago on the Sea of Galilee. I was staying in Tiberias, which is on the western side, just south of Capernaum. Got up early in the morning, went out and found a place to pray, because that's what Jesus did, and watched the sunlight comes up across the Golan. That's the Golan on the other side. And I want you to notice how beautiful the Sea of Galilee is. Just as calm. I mean, you look at that and you go, wow. And yet, if you turn around there at Tiberias, literally turn around, you got the Sea of Galilee here to the east, just as calm as it can be, and you turn around and you look, and there in Tiberias, the, the cliffs go straight up. I mean, you just wouldn't believe how high up the cliffs are. And of course, as you can imagine, the weather's coming in from the west. There were times that fronts would come through. And of course, they would sweep down those cliffs and hit the Sea of Galilee. And the storms must have been terrifying. And boy, they were in this story. Jesus gets in a boat with his disciples. There's a great storm on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. And where's Jesus? He's sound asleep. And you're like, that proves his divinity because anybody who can sleep on a water doing like this uh, probably just proves his humanity and how tired he was. You know, he's been healing nonstop. He's in the boat. He's sound asleep. The disciples come and cry out to him, Save us, Lord, we're perishing. And Jesus gets up. Why are you afraid, O oh, you of little faith? Then he rebuked the winds and the seas, and there was a great calm. And the men, the apostles, Peter, Andrew, James, John, who'd seen all these other miracles, all at once stepped back, and look at what they said. They marveled, saying, What sort of man is this that even winds and sea obey him? If you just knew the songs you would know why they were asking the question. You see, if, if I were to get up here and I'd started simply saying, just as I am, without one plea, or if I got up here and I said, oh Lord my God, how great thou art, uh, oh why not tonight, many of you would say he's quoting lines from songs. Well, in many ways, Jesus was, wasn't quoting a line from a song as much as he was demonstrating a song, a song, a song that Peter and Andrew and James and John had probably sung over and over in the synagogue and down in Jerusalem. And all at once they hear Jesus says something and they go, wait a minute, are you telling me, wait, wait what? You see... In their songbook, Psalm 107, song number 107, you have this line. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. What's Jesus doing? What Stan has oftentimes said, and I appreciate you, Stan, saying this, it's time we need to start connecting the dots, right, brother? In other words, the whole Bible is, is like oftentimes those little things we give our kids to keep them busy, you know, when we're at the restaurant. Connect the dots. But in so many ways, that's exactly what Jesus is doing here for his apostles is he's connecting the dots as they're trying to figure out who in the world is this prophet from Nazareth? 
And of course, here he is doing what only God himself could do according to the Psalms. And Jesus is going, connect the dots. Connect the dots. And then we get to our last story. And you're like, boy, these are happening fast. Yeah, boom, 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 boom. And in this story, they go on across the Sea of Galilee. They get to the other side. And they come to all, all, all places a cemetery. And this is not just any ordinary cemetery. This is a haunted cemetery. All right? Some of y'all are saying all cemeteries are haunted. Well, maybe. Okay? Y'all, y'all I grew up skittish of cemeteries. I mean, I hated cemeteries. I hated going into cemeteries. And mom said, what are you going to do for a living? I'm going to be a preacher. She said, yeah, that's going to work. And so I had to think about that one. But anyway, they get to a cemetery, which, of course, back then were caves cut into the walls of the sides of the hills. And they come to the cemetery where there are two demon-possessed men. Now, demon possessions for a whole other day. But these two men are, are possessed by demons, and these demons are so powerful that nobody could even come through that cemetery. People couldn't visit their loved one's graves. I mean, they were stuck. And so when Jesus pulls up to the bank, you see that these two demon-possessed men met him coming out of the tombs, so fierce that no one could pass that way. And they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? And, of course, the apostles, once again, are trying to connect the dots. Who in the world is this man that demons are speaking to him? And, of course, they're pleading with him. And they say, notice verse 31, and the demons begged him saying, if you cast us out, please send us away into the herd of pigs. There was a large herd of of swine up on the hill there, this Gentile land. And so they're begging, don't send us into the abyss. Instead, send us into these pigs. And Jesus says, go. And you get one of these crazy stories of where all at once, I don't know how many of y'all have been around pigs. Pigs are some of the most docile animals that there can be, except when a sow has little piglets, right? Now, now I grew up, my grandparents raised hogs. And grandmother and granddaddy would always say, now when you go up to feed those sows, do not cross the fence. They'll eat you alive. And they will. I'm just here to tell you, you don't want to be bitten by a sow. But, but when the sows are, you know, don't have little pigs, pigs are pigs. You know, it's not like they're doing much except just kind of, you know, trying to eat and roll around in the mud. And all at once, these demons come out of these two men, and they go into the pigs. And, and as I have often described it, it's the first time you had a hog stampede in all of history. Thousands of pigs going down into the Sea of Galilee, drowning. People who are taking care of the pigs, freaking out. They run back into the town, and notice what they do. They tell everybody what happened to the demon-possessed men, and so the whole city comes out. And even though a great miracle has occurred, their response to the miracle is, you need to leave. Would you please leave our area? Which is our last lesson, which is not everyone is convinced by that which convinces us. We may look at a miracle and say, absolute proof, Jesus is who he claims to be. And someone working beside us go, I'm sorry, I just don't believe it. Not everyone's going to see what we see. 
We'll continue next week as we look at several more miracle stories, all of which are teaching us lessons. But as we leave here today, can I challenge you once again, this next week, dive into chapter 9. Start asking the question, what is it that Jesus wants us to see in these miracles? Please continue to pray for Hendersonville and Sumner County. For those who don't know Jesus, please make that a part of your daily prayer life. Number three, spend some time exploring the Old Testament prophecies. If you've never done that, I want to encourage you, go online, just Google it, Old Testament prophecies about Jesus, and just spend some time looking at them. I think you'll be surprised by what you find. But most of all this week, let's continue the healing ministry of Jesus. Whether it's physical ministry, whether it's helping people in their families, whether it's assisting with children, whether simply calling up a friend and saying, hey, how are you doing? Let's be there for them. Let's continue the healing ministry of Jesus. Uh, our elders are going to be going over to the sides right now. Uh, they'll be upstairs as well as down here. If you've got a prayer request, if you've got a need in your family, if you need some compassion right now, please seek out one of our elders. Uh, some of their wives will be beside some of them as well, and they'll be happy to assist you. Otherwise, let's stand and sing.